Previously on this podcast, I spoke of the sense of confusion one gets when one attempts to survey the metaphysical landscape as reported by every apparent source of data that there is. So, for example, you have people, um, if, if, even, if, even if you're just staying within the set of people who report near-death experiences, the um, implicit theology of each near-death experience is different. Um, now, of course, there's a certain sense in which each near-death experiencer prior to their experience had um, a theology which could have played a role in what they saw and experienced. But even if we take those near-death experiencers who claim not to have been ideological or to have strongly identified with any particular faith tradition and look at the near-death experiences that they had, they're still pretty uncorrelated. It's not clear that all, um, uh, shall we say, religiously unaffiliated near-death experiencers have Christian NDEs or New Age type NDEs or even that they have um, exclusive that they exclusively have vague or nondescript or generic NDEs. It's just it's just all over the map. And then if you zoom out from near death experiences and include all forms of spiritual experience, you know whether or not they were in any proximity to death, it gets even more confusing because you have plenty of people who would have at least described themselves as fundamental fundamentalist Christians prior to their near-death experiences. Um, and then they have their near-death experience, and either just because of the extreme, extremely gracious and unconditional nature of the love they experienced, or because of like overt new age elements, like there were spirit guides and they told me about, you know, reincarnation and, and so forth. Um, uh, these these near-death experiencers report um, ending up um, uh, no longer fundamentalist. They're, they're something else, something more new agey. So, you know, you have that phenomenon. And then on the other hand, you've got all these YouTube videos, um, the new age to Jesus YouTube videos, people who um, claim to have been dabbling in all kinds of new age practices and then being convicted uh, in some way or other for, for, for different reasons and under different circumstances in each case, but eventually being convicted that, that um, what they were doing was wrong and that um, they need to uh, turn their lives over to Jesus and that really the new age is a sort of demonic um, deception. You have, you have these uh, uh, two phenomena as examples of how um, confusing uh, the, the landscape of reported metaphysical uh, experiences is. Um, obviously, it, it also bears mentioning that in addition to this tension uh, between the New Age and at least certain more fundamentalist forms of Christianity, you have the opposition between... Um, the New Age and other um, fundamentalist religions, 
And for that matter, you have the opposition between Christianity and other religions. Um, because when uh, Muslim or Jewish, say Orthodox Jewish near-death experiencers, um, uh, go to the other side, they don't uh, always meet Jesus. They often have um, Orthodox um, spiritual experiences. So one wishes uh, for some kind of um, uh, interpretive framework in which all these um, uh, discrepant uh, stories can be harmonized. One possibility is just to say it's all subjective and the afterlife really doesn't have any uh, structure worth mentioning. And for reasons that I've explained in previous episodes, I don't think that works. I think we have to assume that there's some kind of overall structure and organization to it, which means that there's deception occurring somewhere. Or God is, and or, you know, like sort of positive spiritual entities, they're, they're playing sort of fast and loose with the truth. So, um, you know, one interpretive framework which is possible is that of uh, fundamentalist Christians. You can say that everything, not just the New Age um, uh, near-death experiences, but, but the Jewish and Muslim uh, and Buddhist near-death experiences are also demonic deceptions. I mean, that's internally consistent, but it does lead to the question of um, why God seems to care so little about people's behavior and so much about um, what they believe. As uh, I believe Tillich once uh, noted uh, in regard to this kind of fundamentalistic um, evangelicalism, uh, it, it, it ends up sounding a bit like salvation by cognitive works. One is saved only by having the right beliefs and nothing else is relevant. God isn't really optimizing for anything else. All he cares about in this reality is whether certain people form the right beliefs quite irrespective of whether they behave the right way. Although he also cares if you behave the right way. But if you, if you behave the right way without holding the right beliefs, then, then he doesn't care. So it's, it's, um, uh, it's strange to say the least possible, I grant you, but, 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 but odd. In other words, it, it, it seems to me that, that one can make a case, while one can make a case that there is something kind of spiritually damaging about the theology, which is put forward in many, uh, new agey near death and spiritual experiences, it's, it's much harder to make that case about, um, uh, Orthodox Islamic and um, uh, Jewish uh, theology, because those do involve many of the same elements as Christianity. Um, they involve really dying to yourself uh, in order to uh, do the will of your Father in heaven, um, and perhaps in some universal sense, you know this 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 behavior, this action pattern, is Christ. As when, for example, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's something universal about that statement. So it, it seems possible, at least to me, that members of other religions might be acting out Christ, despite the fact that the, the religious language and terminology and, and uh, symbolism that they use upstairs um, is, is, is different. And, and one 
sees elements in the New Testament which, or verses in the, in the New Testament, which seem to be compatible with this view. For example, um, in Acts, um, well, somebody has a vision. I can't remember who. <laughs> uh, he has a vision uh, according to which it's okay for him to sort of break the Mosaic laws and and to to eat to eat the animals. And there's a Roman named Cornelius, and and um, uh, the recipient of the vision says says to Cornelius, like I now know that God is not a respecter of persons. That um, the, um, anyone in any religion who who does right is acceptable to him. Something to, uh, to that effect. It's just, of course, that you know you also have Paul saying that there is no other name than Jesus under heaven by which men must be saved. And that raises all kinds of issues. Like, um, does that mean one has to literally know the name of Jesus in order in order to be saved? One has to know it in this life before one dies. You know, if if, if we take such a hard stance, then it's hard to um, carve out an exception in retrospect for the. Um, Old Testament patriarchs, although we can say God simply moved the goalposts after after they died, but you know if God can move the goalposts at all, it suggests that knowing the name of Jesus is not metaphysically necessary um, in any strict way for for salvation, unless it is, and having a relationship with Jesus really is. But you know it can it can it can unfold after death, which is something which I definitely make allowance for. But it, but anyway. Uh, I'm getting a little bit off topic. See, I'm wondering if another interpretive framework is possible in which um, Christian near-death and spiritual experiences are true, um, even if they're subjective, even if they're private experiences, they may nonetheless be re representative of um, the uh, metaphysical landscape which one really encounters after death. Um, Again, assuming that there's structure and organization to it, um, and then also the 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 Muslim and and the Jewish uh, near death experiences, to the extent that they're orthodox and 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 emphasize the right principles, you know, those are those are also true. Those are also representative of of the nature of the afterlife and of spiritual reality as a whole, and that when one has a near death experience, uh, and one is a practicing Muslim or Jew, God uses the religious language that, that resonates most with you, um, despite the fact that, in the end, Jesus is, is the fullness of God's truth. And I don't really see any contradiction or dishonesty in that, you know, any more than just existing in this reality right now. It's not, it's not, um, extremely obvious, um, uh, if Jesus is the fullness of God's truth, that he is the fullness of God's truth. There's a certain sense in which if God made that knowledge too obvious, it would impinge upon people's free will. So it also makes sense to, to suppose that God may continue to respect people's free will in the afterlife, at least if we're talking about the subset of those who sort of visit the afterworld but then return to this sort of zone of confusion in which we live. Um, so, on this interpretive framework, you know the the other orthodox religious experiences are, um, are 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 true in some sense because they emphasize the right principles. But um, some near death experiences are 
uh, shall we say, false, really, because because their their principles are just just wrong. And here I'm thinking again of that specific brand of New Age theology, which I used to think was a lot more common in near death experiences. Um, uh, but now I realize that it's 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 not. And what do I mean? That that brand is like spirit guides, reincarnation. G Jesus is not God. He's just an ascended master. Um, negativity isn't a real dimension of, of spiritual reality. It's all an illusion. If you just um, meditate enough or do the inner work that's necessary, you realize that there is no negativity whatsoever and, and, and positivity is all there is. You know, this, this seems to me fundamentally wrong. And to the extent that it comes from an intelligent source outside the self, it must be deceptive. Um, if only because, uh, you know, good is defined on its complement or absence. There is no sense to be made of good, goodness and love and positivity if the absence of these things does not exist. It seems to me for that reason that even though we can validly characterize like the sort of shall we say, executive intelligence of the consciousness of everything that is, um, uh, uh, as, as pure light and purposing only goodness and love for us creatures. Nevertheless, somewhere in creation, in reality, evil exists. And, you know, it's very easy to explain how it exists as a function of free will and of ignorance. But anyway, the point is that it, it exists. It always has to. So so. Any if there is a being external to you which tells you otherwise, then, you know, that's a problem. As well as the fact that, you know, reincarnation is just is just um, uh, very difficult to make sense of. But I've, I've beat that drum many times before. So what I'm wondering is if, if there might not be some middle ground here um, in which... Uh, some degree of structure and organization is preserved for the metaphysical terrain of the afterworld. It's not totally subjective or idioplastic or polymorphous or intersubjectively multiform or, you know, whatever jargon I used before. But it's not that any one religion has a monopoly on the truth, as if the only thing that God ever cared about in creating this world was that certain people should have the right ideas and, and um, you know, actions be damned quite literally in this case, you know, the, the actual enactment of love, God couldn't care less about. So it seems to me that in order to take this middle approach, there still needs to be some deception somewhere. And um, yeah, I went on the, the NDERF website. Um, what is that? Uh, Near Death Experience Research Foundation. They have upwards of 4,000 NDEs on there. I just went through the first 40 from like their 1998 to 2001 catalog. And I looked through them. And I think um, about one of them made explicit reference to reincarnation. The other one seemed to make implicit reference to reincarnation. So two out of 40, one, I mean, if that's a valid enough sample size to generalize from, one out of 20, 5%. Um, I mean, it's it's a relatively small amount. And, you know, I just, I just read... Um, uh, Raymond Moody's Life After Life. As from what I can tell from looking at him, he's at least sympathetic or open to the idea of reincarnation. But when you listen to or read Life After Life, you realize that this is something which occurs in only a minority of near-death experiences as sort of doctrinal content. 
you know, most near-death experiences, when you look at them, what I really realized from going through the NDERF website is just how light on doctrine and propositional content many near-death experiences are. There might be a sort of um, observation selection effect um, in effect uh, uh, for us, um, uh, you know, just um, consumers of media, the average consumer of media when, when it comes to near-death experiences, because disproportionately the people who um the near-death experiencers who get exposure uh you know in in media uh they uh they are more articulate um than the average near-death experiencer probably more intelligent than the average near-death experiencer but you know on the nderf website it seems like you you get more of the the the, the average person's um near-death experience and that's that's just more generic. It's more vague. It's like, you know, tunnel, love, light, sense of peace, um, maybe a life review. Um, that's it. Nothing too heavy in, in terms of doctrine, either Christian or New Age. And and and, and Muslims have um have have Muslim near death experiences that are also kind of just light on content. Um now granted there's probably at least one other observation selection effect um, in play and that is the tendency of um, near-death experiencers with a quote-unquote deep experiences of the afterworld um, to to receive um, you know disproportionate media exposure simply because their near-death experiences are more interesting as Raymond Moody points out in life after life um, there seems to be a correlation between how long one has been dead and the 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 so-called depth of the associated near-death experience and those deeper near-death experiencers are heavier on sort of propositional slash doctrinal content of whatever kind it seems to me that of those near-death experiences which receive the highest level of media uh, exposure and treatment a disproportionately high number of them have new age elements. But I, I can't make that statement with like the, the assurance of um, statistical uh, validity behind me in any way, because I haven't done a study on that, uh, obviously. So, but anyway, I think that if there's deception in any of, you know, the near-death experiences um, that have been experienced or spiritual experiences that have been experienced, there, a good case can be made that it occurs in the in, in these new age near death experiences that have this specific theology that I mentioned or constellation of theological features spirit guides reincarnation positivity is the only sort of real dimension of spiritual reality negativity does not exist and why is there a good case for this number one it's sort of what you would predict from first principles in this project that I'm trying to do. It, you know, these, these doctrines are not consistent with, with the spiritual reality that, to my mind at least, makes the most overall philosophical sense. Number two, in addition to that a priori case, you have this sort of a posteriori case of like all these people on the internet, the YouTube to Jesus uh, testifiers, um, a, a minority of whom, maybe about 30%, roughly speaking, you know, back of the envelope calculation, they report sort of demonic harassment, especially when they, they try to leave the New Age for Christianity. 
So you can say, well, that's just a bandwagon thing. You know, that's not really happening. We shouldn't give their experiences any credence or testimony. They're doing it, for, or you know, credence or, or 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 trust. You know, they're they're doing it for um, attention. And it's like, okay, possibly, but but the thing is, it's a weird argument. You know, if 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 one is saying, believe the spiritual and near death experiences of of new agers because you know humans are trustworthy i guess and but don't believe you know the the spiritual experiences of these uh new, uh new age to jesus people it's just it's just not really a consistent argument and you know another possibility is just well you know yes deception exists um and demonic harassment exists when you get into new age concepts but that doesn't mean uh necessarily that that um christianity is true that's that's a fair point Except again, if if um, the the data that we're seeing in these New Age to Jesus um, uh, testimonies lines up with what you would predict from first principles, uh, i.e., Christianity good, uh, New Age bad, you know, then that seems like an extra point in favor of um, the hypothesis that that if deception is occurring anywhere, it's it's occurring in in, in the new age sort of near-death experiences. So here's an example of what I mean. Um, let's turn over to, this person's real interesting, this, this um, Ray person who is behind the uh, uh, MIT-hosted website, Ray's Spirituality the Hard Way. I think her name is Ari Izawa, as far as I can tell. I don't think she's hiding her name, but she calls herself Ray. And in her story, she talks about something interesting, which I think really fits well with my, you know, new age deception hypothesis, which isn't, which remember is not, is not the same as, you know, uh, saying that fundamentalist Christianity is, is, is true, but, but it is saying that, you know, the new age is, is, is quite possibly false or at least suspect and, 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 and fishy. So Let's go over to part of Ray's story that she tells about, you know, how she kind of dabbled in spiritual concepts and, and the education that she got along the way. Um, she talks about how she was trying to, you know, mediumistically tune in to various entities. And uh, she said... Uh, my friend Kay and I embarked on trying out the instructions for tuning to God. So what are those? Those are some instructions that she got from a, a, a Christian friend or a friend who described himself as Christian, who said that you can just kind of tune into what what God wants if you um, if you s internally summon some sense of reverent joy. Um, but uh, but 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 Ray says my friend Kay and I embarked on trying out the instructions for tuning into God. We quickly fell in with spirits who claimed to be angels, and it seemed okay at first. They advocated blessing others and other things that seemed benevolent. But gradually things swerved away from love God and love your neighbor into the self-centered, accomplish great things in your life philosophy, which is not the teachings of Jesus Christ. They even started telling us that angels closest to God are bound by tons of bureaucratic laws and regulations, a sure way to turn me away from God. 
Much of what they taught me was New Age teachings, everything from stuff about higher self to chakra cleansing, and not knowing better, I trusted them. They constructed elaborate staged events to convince me of soul fragmentation and of the truth of their teachings. Some of it was even silly, with spirits playing roles as various different fragments of myself. In retrospect, it's fairly ridiculous that I bought into it, but I was hooked. And then finally one day, these spirits took me on a vision quest, and by the end of it, more than six hours later, I was not only exhausted, but I was under attack by a very powerful dark entity as well. I had been betrayed. So you kind of see this a lot in the New Age, in the, uh, New Age to Jesus videos, the idea that spirit guides uh, distract you and run you ragged by having you sort of investigate uh, this, that, and the other spiritual practice. And then when you're all sort of tired and exhausted, you become, and your third eye is opened, you know, however that works, you become vulnerable to psychic attack by some, you know, dark entity, which um, it's kind of like the bad cop and, and the good cop, bad cop dynamic. Um, the spirit guides will say, yeah, you know, that's a dark entity, but, but who knows if they're actually uh, collaborating or colluding behind the scenes or not. One suspects something like that might have happened with um, Carla Ruckert and, um, and, and her friends when they were trying to channel Raw. Um, because we know that despite the fact that everyone in that channeling outfit said that Raw was a good entity, um, there, there were negative entities that um, appeared on the scene whenever they were trying to summon Ra and receive Ra's new age teachings. And one of those uh, negative entities did a number on um, uh, Don Elkins. And Don Elkins ended up dying by suicide. So is it really the case necessarily that, yeah, you know, Ra was good and those guys were bad? Or is it the case possibly that that it was a setup? You know, one, do, one doesn't really know. Um, although, you know, with Ra's teachings, the, the, thing, the thing that makes me think that they're of human origin, even if it's just subconscious human origin, is that they contain, like, rather basic mathematical errors. And that's kind of hard to square with it coming from a super intelligent, um, extra-dimensional being. One of the reasons I find um, Eri Izawa interesting is that, um, arguably like me, she's not beginning from some default presumption that everything in the Bible is true and that anything not in the Bible or, co or anything contrary to the Bible and indeed anything just not in the Bible is, is therefore false. Um, it's, it's clear that she has a sort of wary and distant relationship with fundamentalist Christianity from her website. And it, but it just seems like um, through um, difficult experiences, she's been led to the conclusion that there is some kind of demonic deception somewhere and that the truth happens to look very cruciform and, and, and Christianity-like. And that's sort of the sense I've gotten to delving into spiritual topics. Contrast this with... Um, perhaps the majority of, of New Age to Jesus experiences that are available on YouTube, where um, uh, the, the process of realizing um, that uh, the, the New Age 
was deceptive and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That process was not um, helped along by any actual metaphysical experiences. You're just hearing from people who really had some kind of experience um, with Jesus and then thereafter concluded that everything the Bible says is true, anything in contradiction with the Bible is false, and, and also somehow, even though this this the logic underneath this move is is less less rigorous but it, somehow they get the idea that if something is not in the bible then it's not true which is like a really dubious assumption but anyway that appears to be the extent of their rationale for concluding that the new age uh you know stuff they believed in was was false and you know that you know they might be right but the problem is that's that's just a that's just a circular um, pattern of reasoning. The case, the case is a good deal stronger if one has actually experienced um, so, sort of demonic um, harassment in the course of uh, pursuing um, or dabbling in, in New Age practices. And the case is stronger still if one experiences an intensification of such harassment when one tries to, uh, you know, cleanse one's house of all New Age related paraphernalia and, and you know, become a fundamentalist Christian. You know, the the real issue that I have with this kind of fundamentalist Christianity is not even really that I don't want to believe it. It's just that I, I don't know how they their draw their conclusions about what the Bible actually means with such certainty. That's, that's really where I um, just have trouble following them. That's, that's why I can't really get on board with their worldview. I mean, granted, there are aspects of their worldview that, which are disturbing to me. You know, it's like, if if God really does, you know, punish uh, souls forever, whether that be uh, in the form of eternal uh, tor uh, torture or uh, mere annihilation, that sounds like the imposition of an infinite sentence for a finite transgression, which was committed in ignorance because again morality is held to be objective not merely subjective and 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 not only committed in ignorance but an ignorance for which the the moral agent in question cannot have been ultimately responsible because that moral agent didn't pre-exist itself so you know it's like it's it seems morally insane um for 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 god to subject anyone to either annihilation or eternal torture for finite transgressions it's not to say that they don't receive any punishment you know it's like uh, hitler commits suicide he wakes up he's partying with jesus no i i think he could be experiencing some kind of purgatorial punishment really an unimaginable level of it or i mean like if you can imagine the suffering of the victims of the Holocaust in Eastern Europe and, and just, just all over the world, you know, as a result of Hitler's actions, um, then maybe you can imagine Hitler's suffering. But, but, but am I therefore committed to, to saying that his suffering has to be truly infinite? Um, uh, you know, it seems like if I make it infinite, it's precisely at that point that it becomes unjust. But anyway... So I mean, yeah, their 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 vision of God is a little bit strange and disturbing to me, if literally true, as opposed to being like a kind of simplification of of uh, a more complex spiritual reality, or just a kind of underspecified 
theology in which, you know, it's like we know what happens uh, to you if you do X, Y, and Z, but if you don't, we don't, we, we don't claim to know if you're going to heaven or hell, but, you know, we would just assume it's better for you to do X, Y, and Z, but, you know, we don't claim to know the exact fate of people who don't. So anyway, but, you know, particulars, particularist Christianity is, is strange to me. Uh, uh, but I could, I could maybe get on board with that strangeness if, if there were just some determinate way of reading scripture where I knew for sure that it does lead to this theology, which I find somewhat strange. But as I've said before, I don't, I don't know any, any way of doing that. You know, let scripture interpret scripture. Is that in scripture? Is that in hermeneutics 316? If there was scripture interpreting scripture and some kind of infinite regress of, you know, metatextual verses such that, you know, each, each verse um, is interpreted by the verse after it, you know, then there would be a truly infinite number of verses and you could never read all of them. And the result would be that, you know, the definitive interpretation of scripture would quite literally never arrive. There's still no hope of a, you know, determinate, um, uh, construction of meaning from the text, even if the text were somehow infinite in length and, and had um, uh, an infinite number of verses, each of which was dedicated to the interpretation of the previous verse. There's no way around this. Um, you know, you can, all you can do is just, you're, you're going to, you're going to decide to give logical priority to certain verses over other verses in a way that is arbitrary with respect to the text, not necessarily arbitrary with respect to some kind of higher order, you know, verbal reasoning like philosophy, which is what I try to do. I don't see philosophy as opposed to biblicism. I see it as necessarily complementary to, 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 to biblicism. But anyway, if you're saying, no, we don't do philosophy, we get our philosophy somehow from the text also, it's like, okay. So we're just, we're just assigning logical priority to certain verses over other verses in a way that is arbitrary with respect to the text because it's not informed by any kind of other rationale. And the text doesn't tell you which, which verses to give priority over others. So you just end up with this kind of um, internally circular um, uh, interpretive framework and an interpretation which rests on circular foundations and it's one among many other possible interpretations. You know, it doesn't have the force of logical necessity where you can say, hey, everyone else's uh, interpretation is, is logically incoherent, therefore mine is the only possible interpretation. It, it's not the case. No one agrees on the Bible, especially you know, among the Protestants who, who, who claim that the Bible is perspicuous, which is a word that most people have to look up. So anyway, it's just a mess. I, I know a lot of people are fond of saying that, that you know, they have a very uh, negative opinion on you know, how much truth the human mind can reach. Um, and therefore, they prefer to get their philosophy from Scripture. It's like my only, my only problem with that is, it seems to me like you need to rely on the human intellect to get whatever truth Scripture offers in order to, you know, to um, construct the text's meaning in some truly determinate fashion. Um, Nonetheless, uh, suffice it to say, I, I do think that the, the fundamentalist types are making a good deal of sense um, when it comes to, you know, discernment in these spiritual matters, even if much of their certainty is possibly false uh, certainty. Um, 
I'm thinking now of the so-called Spirit Answers podcast uh, done by Alex Machuco, um, whose content is pretty much straight uh, New Age to Jesus uh, uh, content. Um, and um, I, I think it's very good, actually. I enjoy it very much. I, I think the host does a very good job, and I think the stories are very interesting. And I think that they highlight what I think could could well be, you know, this very real element of demonic deception in, in, in the New Age. Um, and uh, um, one of the guests on that Spirit Answers podcast was a man named Mark, Mark Hunneman. And he was talking about how he studied philosophy and he had written this book. And um, then he went on to do like house cleansings and sort of, uh, sort of, dip his toes in this um, kind of exorcism uh, type stuff. And um, he proceeded to have all kinds of experiences with demons. And um, he said that um, a lot of like paranormal investigators will assume that the, the paranormal experiences they have are caused by ghosts rather than demons. And Mark Hunneman is of the opinion that it's all caused by demons. And um, he was making some interesting arguments to support his case. Like he was saying, um, Ouija boards, you never have a documented instance of like a ghost. Because, because Ouija boards seem to be magnets for demonic activity to such a degree that even paranormal investigators, you know, seem to recognize that. And, um, but you never have a case where, uh, uh, ghosts will tell family members on the Ouija board to look out for demonic activity. Never. And um, the, the kind of um, messages which are left by um, supernatural beings on tape recorders, for example, in, in the silences after people ask a question, you know, and then listen later to the recordings for some kind of um, paranormal artifact, those, those, those answers are never like chatty, voluble, extroverted human answers. They're always like very cryptic, like um, laconic, terse, not very friendly messages. And you would expect if these were like, you know, human ghosts, like they, they would, you know, uh, at some points be sort of extroverted and voluble the way that many humans tend to be. What else did Mark Hunneman say? That was a cool episode. I recommend it highly. Um, Hunneman said that uh, paranormal investigators now seem broadly to recognize that that Ouija boards are are no good, um, uh, but but uh, and so they 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 don't use them because they believe that that sort of draws demonic activity. However. When paranormal investigators enter a house, Hunneman points out, their tendency is to sort of treat the whole house as one giant Ouija board. They're just asking the demons to show themselves and communicate with whatever is expedient, whatever is on hand. And, you know, a Ouija board, there's nothing really distinctly magical or special about that. that that's a totally made-up thing. Like some guy in maybe the 1800s or 1900s, he, he made it up. And the word Ouija is just the, the French, he was a European guy. It, it, the word Ouija is just the French word for yes and the German word for yes smashed together. And um, it's, there's no sort of deep ancient history about this. Nothing about it that would 
make one think that it is, it is disproportionately likely to draw demonic activity. Rather, it seems more likely that it is the act of seeking the, uh, communication with the other world which, which uh, uh, draws demonic activity, which is a point that Hahnemann made very well in that, in that podcast. Nonetheless, you know, does it does it follow that that every instance of paranormal activity is from a demon, and that there are no ghosts wandering about? I'm not sure, and I'm not even sure on on how um, I'm not even sure how strong a biblical case one could make for that claim. Again, I don't think the abs things being absent in the Bible should should uh, tell us that these things just aren't real, because there's so much that's real that's not in the Bible. Hunneman seems to assume that every soul goes immediately to judgment upon death. And, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that a number of near-death experiences seem to speak of what the Tibetan Book of the Dead would, would, would call the bardo, this kind of intermediate state where you, you're in a body possibly very much like the body you had when you were alive, and then sometimes not. Sometimes you're in this weird sort of spirit body, subtle body, orb-like body. Anyway, but sometimes you're in a very human-like body. Um, you know, if, if, if uh, certain near-death experience uh, reports are to be believed. And um, who knows how long you could stay in this bardo. I, I, don't, I don't know. Hunneman said he doesn't think anyone really lingers um, uh, as a ghost in this world, you know, due to God's sovereignty. God is, like, absolutely in control of the world. And I sort of get that point because... The, the picture that, that New Age people would so often have you believe instead is that like the spiritual reality is kind of impersonal and it just works according to these naturalistic laws and we have a lot more power than we really have. Um, we can kind of do whatever we want. And, you know, I, I, I don't agree with that. But, but um, you know, who knows but that in certain cases it is at least consistent with God's permissive will that certain people should stay behind in, in some kind of intermediate state and, and, and experience there a sort of limbo or, or purgatory. Um, do I know for sure that this is not the case? It seems very hard for me to make a valid um, argument uh, uh, against this possibility on, on purely biblical grounds because it, it, it would just be an argument from silence. So anyway, whether every ghost sighting is in fact a demon sighting is a question that I'll remain agnostic about. But um, I do find um, Hahnemann uh, convincing that at least a large number, perhaps the majority of ghost sightings are, are in fact demons and that there is an element of demonic deception occurring when people think that they're speaking with uh, departed souls, uh, 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 human souls who now reside on the other side. You know, that gets into mediumship, and that's that's a whole other thing. You know, I just watched a Netflix documentary. Uh, I think it was called Surviving Death, and they it was a five-part docu-series, and they had two parts devoted to mediums, and boy, that was painful to watch. It was, it was as the kids would say, cringeworthy or, or cringe-inducing or just simply cringe. Um, it, it feels like... like Basically, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but what it what it feels like is just mediums make stuff up sometimes, and they kind of put on an act. 
And um, so one assumes that there's a lot of just ordinary deception, you know, human level deception occurring in mediumship. But then, you know, one has to make room for the possibility that there's also a certain amount, uh, potentially, of uh, demonic deception occurring in, in mediumship. Anyway, it's all very interesting stuff. I think I'll um, end the episode here and pick up on these topics later. Um, so uh, until then, I'll just say thank you for listening, and um, I'll see you next time.